I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I woke up with a bit of a frog in my throat, so I'm hoping you'll hear me okay. And so um, my voice is kind of cracking today, which, which uh, I don't know what that means. But anyway, today uh, I want to talk with you about uh, the second installment of our series on Mark. And it's a, it's a series we've entitled Jesus in Action, because if there was ever a gospel, if there was ever a book of the Bible that could readily be made into a movie, it'd be Mark's gospel. The gospel is an account of the life and times and resurrection of Jesus Christ, of his ministry, of his death on the cross, and how he rose again, uh, so that we can understand that he is the Son of God. And Mark wanted us to know that so that we would get to know who Jesus is. And today, we're going to understand that Jesus is full of surprises. People have all kinds of ideas about God, um, but when Jesus came, he shattered most of them. And so... Be prepared to be surprised today. That's why inside your bulletin you find an outline entitled The Surprising Son of God. Lots of surprises here when you watch Jesus in action. So I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. I'm going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And I pray today, Lord, you would teach us something about yourself. Lord, as we look at Jesus in action. And I pray these things in the wonderful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, raise your hand. You want to take some notes on this. Some good stuff contained in this is Mark chapter 2. Well, the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, where we see uh, Jesus doing ministry in amazing ways. By seeing Jesus in action, we can learn about the character of God. I mean, that's what Mark wanted to show us. This is Mark 1.1. 1, 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's good news. And part of the good news is, is God is a lot different than you thought. A lot of people think God is this angry God way up in heaven, doesn't care about us, just gave us these commandments to make our life miserable. And if you're miserable enough while you live on earth, then one day you get to go to heaven when you die. And people think this way about God. They think he doesn't care about them, he doesn't really answer prayers, he doesn't really have power to change things. We blame him for everything that goes wrong in our lives, and we don't talk to him and really pray to him about things that matter to us. And we don't try to understand his point of view. And so when Jesus walks the face of the earth, he's God in the flesh, and he stuns people because they, he destroys almost every preconception they had about God. So look, the Hebrews 1.3, the writer of Hebrews says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. That's why it's so important to see how Jesus acts because the way Jesus acts is the way God acts. I mean, you see him, you see God. And that's why... It's so instructive to read the Gospels to see what Jesus does, because then we can understand who God is. So God wants us to know him. Here's a life application for you and me, so we can have a relationship with him. If I get to know you, I can have a relationship with you. If I understand what's important to you, the way you respond to things, then I can have a relationship. John wrote about this in 1 John. He said, look, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so you may fully share our joy. If I want to fully share their joy, well, then I get together with them, and I can get together with God the Father because I get to know him. And this is why the gospel writers wrote all this. But again, what happens is when we see Jesus in action, it's surprising. Look, we make up our minds about people a lot of times, and sometimes it is just shocking. Uh, My wife and I, about 20 years ago, you know, it was about that long ago now, we went on a trip to Israel with a group of folks, and uh, it was amazing. We learned a lot. But one of the surprises we had was when we just ate at a cafe in Jerusalem. We sat down for lunch, and we were talking, the waitress came over, and she took our order in perfect English. 
like she'd grown up right next door. And then I saw her go to the next table, and she spoke to them. And I know a little bit of a few words in German. I could tell she was speaking German, and they were having a conversation and laughing, so she appeared to be fluent in that. Then I watched a little later. She was at another table. She spoke fluent French. And I, when she came back to our table again with our order, I said, well, how many languages do you speak? And she goes, well, four fluently. I'm working on a couple of others right now, which is what we all expect for waitresses at a diner. And you go, oh, my goodness, didn't expect that. Because I, I made up my mind that somebody doing this would, would not have those kind of ambitions. It should never make up my mind about that. But I was surprised. Well, people did the same thing for Jesus. They sold him short all the time, completely short. So point two, let's jump in here. Let's see one of some of the things that Jesus did. So Mark kind of, if you can imagine a camera following Jesus around, watching him, well, then all of a sudden we're going to understand who God is like. And it's surprising. Surprisingly, Jesus is willing to touch a man with a contagious skin disease, leprosy. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging him to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Now, it's important to note here that the lepers were ceremonially unclean and banished from society. If you had a skin disease, you couldn't go into the temple. You couldn't worship um, because you were contaminated. You were unclean. Leviticus tells us about this. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing, leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as a serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. And when the cities were formed, they lived in what were called leper colonies outside the city. And food had to be brought to them. If they did come into the city, they had to do exactly what was shared there. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. And then they had to give you like a 20-yard a buffer or whatever it was. If they came closer than that and you recognize it, by law, you had the right to pick up a stone and throw it at them or a stick and beat them and drive them away from you. And it wasn't just because of the contagious skin disease that you might get it. It was also because if you touched an unclean person, you became unclean. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't worship. And so it's really interesting if you read that again, uh, if you look back now at this reference from Mark 1 where Jesus is there, the leper came to him and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I mean, you can clean me up. He was unclean. When this leper came and ran and fell at Jesus' feet, all the people who were religious around him would have done this. I mean, there would have been a huge evacuation. Oh, my gosh. But Jesus, and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He goes, Jesus goes, of course I'm willing. And he touches him, and the man's leprosy is gone. I mean, this is something amazing. The unclean leper didn't make Jesus diseased and unclean. In fact, it was the other way around. The Son of God made the unclean person clean. Here's the surprise. By touching the leper, Jesus revealed to us God's compassion. I mean, God's angry. He doesn't want unclean people around him. God hates unclean people. And a lot of people would think that. But that's not at all true. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are, and he remembers we're only dust. 
Look, I don't know anybody who thinks they're unclean because of a skin disease, but I know lots of people who won't come to church because they don't think they're good enough. I talk to them all the time. Well, how does it come up? Well, I invite them to church. And they go, well, I'm not good enough to go to your church. I go, I don't know. We've got a lot of sinners there. You'd fit right in. How does that make you feel? <laughs> no, you know the reason why I tell them to come? Not just because we're all a bunch of sinners, which is true, but because Jesus is the one who makes us clean. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Okay, so what's the answer? If somebody says, I'm not good enough to go to church, lightning would strike me if I walked into church. There was a fellow out here a couple of years ago. He walked back and forth in front of those doors for a whole hour on a Sunday morning. And for those of you watching on the screen, back of the room here in Prattville, he wouldn't come in. I went and talked to him. I begged him, come on in. He goes, I'm not good enough to be in there. I go, well, none of us are. But Jesus makes us clean. Come in. And that brings us to a life application here for you and me. When we need help, we should run to Jesus. We should run to Jesus. That's what this man did, and he fell at his feet. I mean, with great humility, he fell down in front of him, fully believing that Jesus was the one who could change his life and make him clean. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Hey, if you don't think you're good enough to be in God's presence, you're not. You're not. Talked to somebody on the phone yesterday, and they said, I don't think I deserve God's, God to answer my prayer. I haven't been doing what I should have been doing in my life. I went, well, good news for you. God hears us just because we ask. I mean, can you imagine if God's grace and kindness really depended on our performance? We'd all be completely destroyed. But that's the good news. And it was shocking that when a leper came and fell at Jesus' feet, Jesus not only said, be clean, but he touched him. And everybody would have gasped. I mean, literally, that crowd that evacuated, like this man came and fell, and they realized he's a leper. I mean, people would be running and standing at a distance. And here's Jesus. And he goes, if you're willing, you can touch me. He touches him. The whole crowd would have gone, <gasps> Jesus is going to be unclean. Instead, the man was made whole. Surprising. Point three, if you open your outline, surprisingly, Mark goes on. Again, remember, this is like scenes in a movie. You stitch them all together, you start seeing who God is. God's compassionate, for one. There's a shocker, because some of us have never thought about God that way. Secondly, here, surprisingly, Jesus told a paralyzed man his sins were forgiven. So it's surprising what Jesus did. Now it's surprising what he says. You may have heard this. If you grew up in church, you heard this as a kid in Sunday school. But if you never heard this story, it's really kind of amazing. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. I mean, if he's healing lepers and he's casting out demons, and last week we talked about all kinds of miracles that he did, well, then a big crowd is drawn. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door. When he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him in to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now, don't think of a house like we have today with shingles and all that stuff. These would have been a, a thatch roof, more like a thatch roof. And a lot of times there was a staircase going up on a single floor dwelling. And it was covered over with mud and plaster redone every year to keep the rain out and other things. Like this. People used the rooftop as a place where they could um, carry on business or bathe or do other things. It was an additional room 
So it wasn't that hard for them to get up on the roof with the man. They would have just had to climb up there. What was unusual was they tore a hole in the guy's roof. And uh, that would have been interesting. So Jesus is in this person's house. There's a huge crowd. Imagine all kinds of sick people outside and onlookers curious, what's going to happen now? This is incredible entertainment, if you will. And these guys, they're desperate to get their friend to Jesus because he's paralyzed. And so they carry him up on the roof, rip a hole in it. They tie some ropes or maybe they're... Uh, belts or their robes, who knows? They just had to make this up on the fly. And all of a sudden, as Jesus is talking, the roof opens up and a man is lowered down right in front of him, a paralyzed man who can't move. So that's what's going on. So while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowds. They dug a hole through the roof over his head. Then they lowered the man on the mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Um, you can walk now. That's not what he said. Seeing the paralyzed man, he said, my child, your sins are forgiven. What? I mean, that would have made it go quiet. But some of the teachers of religious law were sitting there and they thought to themselves, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We never seen anything like this before. I guess not. When you talk about surprising... I mean, who's ever seen anything like that? But there was more than that. I mean, it's like Jesus claimed to be able to forgive people's sins. Only God can do that. And that's what Mark told us. The reason he wrote this gospel is this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the religious leaders were right. If they're standing there, if this man isn't the Son of God and he claims to be able to forgive sins, he's a blasphemer and he deserves to die. What they were wrong about is, is they didn't allow that that was even possible. I mean, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, here's a note. By healing the paralyzed man, easy for me to say, Jesus proved his authority came from God. In Old Testament times, Moses had said, God's going to raise up a prophet like me from among you, from among the Jewish people. And you're going to recognize him because he's going to come in power. But then Moses went on to say in Deuteronomy 18.21, now you may ask yourselves, Well, how do we know when a message has been spoken by the Lord? I mean, there's going to be prophets and false prophets and other things that arise. How do we know the real ones? Well, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that's a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Don't be afraid of him. Well, how do you know the genuine article prophet if what he says comes true? Here is the prophecy. This man's going to get up and walk. Get up and walk. And he got up and walked. Okay, that's true. I mean, that is one heck of a verification that you represent God. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. So Jesus is surprising in what he does. He's surprising in what he says. Now, there's another note here. By forgiving the paralyzed man's sins, Jesus showed us God's grace. And if you write undeserved kindness, that's what grace means, undeserved kindness. This is why we come to Christ no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. This is why we come to him even if we haven't deserved an answer to prayer from him, because he's kind. 
And he has compassion on us. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. In those days, the temple was running every day where you offered sacrifices for your sins. You had to bring a sheep or a, or a goat, or maybe if you were poor, you brought two turtle doves or some other things. You had to make sacrifices for your sins. An animal had to die to remind the Israelites that God was holy and their sin was a transgression against him. That something had to die because the wages of sin is death. Now here is Jesus. This man is paralyzed. He couldn't offer a sacrifice if he wanted to. His limbs didn't work. I mean, he's just lying there on a mat. He'd offered no sacrifices. He'd offered no prayers. And Jesus forgave him and healed him because that's what he needed. I hope you, this reminds you again of God's grace here. This is undeserved kindness, and it's shocking. Because so many people believe that God is out to get us, and man, he is waiting for me to screw up. No, it's undeserved. Now, here's a life application out of this whole story I think that applies to all of us. Friends bring friends to Jesus. Paralyzed man couldn't get to Jesus. Paralyzed man, even if he had gotten there, couldn't have gotten through the crowds. His friends had to do the whole thing for him because they knew they knew his need required Jesus' help, and the man's need drove them to get him to Jesus. They cared so much for him, they wouldn't let anything stand in the way. Hey, Joe needs Jesus here. He needs a touch from Jesus. He's willing to heal a leper. Maybe he'll be willing to heal Joe. Um, one time when Jesus was talking to a woman in Samaria, whom normally Jews had nothing to deal with, and this was a woman of a bad reputation. She'd had five husbands, and she was living with a guy who wasn't her husband at the time. I mean, she was a woman whom nobody respected, and Jesus had a conversation with her and told her that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And then as soon as she understood that there was hope in Jesus, this is what happened. The woman left her water jar beside the well. That's where they were meeting, at a well. Jesus said, I'm the living water. You draw the living water, you'll never thirst again. I'll satisfy your soul. Well, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village where she came from, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see Jesus. A woman with a bad reputation didn't worry about her reputation. These people need Jesus as much as I do. Come see him. I mean, what if that was my attitude and that was yours? I got a friend who's into drugs. He's never going to come to church. I got a, a friend who's really blown it so many times over and over again. She's just bound up in shame. She would never come to church. Maybe not by herself, but what if three of her friends brought her? What if the three friends of the drug addict or four friends did an intervention and said, we're not going to let you throw away your life. We're going to bring you to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I mean, what if I was a friend like that? I mean, friends don't let friends drive drunk. We're used to hearing that one. Here's another one. Friends bring friends to Jesus. Could you say that with me, please? Friends bring friends to Jesus. How can I claim to be your friend if I know that there is a new life available through Jesus because of what he did in my life 
and not even share that with you. Well, I don't know how they'll receive that. Well, these friends weren't worried about it. They hauled them up. They wouldn't let anything stop them. I mean, I look forward to meeting those guys in heaven one day. I mean, you talk about true friends. I mean, think about this. There are even people who would come to Centerpoint, and for some of them, our church would be too large. They'd say, oh, there's too many people. I can't get to Jesus. I can't figure that out. Well, that's why we have small groups. That's why we have connect groups. So you can be surrounded with friends where you can talk and build relationships. And together in those groups, we can help each other come to Jesus with all of our problems. I mean, that's why it's designed that way. If we don't know how to pray, well, that's the place to learn. So we can bring our problems to Jesus and learn to talk about them on our own. Don't know how to read the Bible? Well, that's what we'll do. I'm afraid of a confrontation I need to make. We'll pray for you. We'll even go with you if you want us to. This is how friends support each other. And it just blew people's minds that God was this way. That he saw the faith of the friends. He was amazed by the faith of the friends. These are good friends. There are other stories in the Bible where a servant would come or a, or a man would come on behalf of his servant and say, my servant is sick and you can heal him if you want to. When Jesus saw the man's faith, he healed the servant. He said, I don't, I don't see people like this. True friends who trust me and pray for their friends. I mean, coming to Jesus with the need of a friend out loud is the same as you and me coming to Jesus with the need of a friend in prayer out loud in our room. But who has that kind of faith? A true friend. What if I lifted up my friends? I mean, these people lowered their friend in front of Jesus. What if I lifted up my friends in front of Jesus every day in prayer? What if three or four of us got together regularly and said, hey, we're going to pray for these people to lift them up to Jesus because they need a touch from Jesus? Is he willing? Yeah, we already determined that when he healed the leper. Mercy, this is a story we could spend all day on. But I wanted to hit these back to back to back because they're all under the heading of the surprising nature of God. I mean, he's willing to touch unclean people. He really can forgive sins. He has authority to do that. And it's an act of grace. This guy didn't deserve it at all. And it was the faith of his friends that got him in front of Jesus. Wow. Point four. One more surprise. This is still in chapter 2. There's 16 chapters in Mark. Every one of them contains surprises, but here's another one in chapter 2. Surprisingly, Jesus chose Levi as a disciple and was a friend to sinners. Levi is another name for Matthew. One of the disciples, the guy who wrote the book of Matthew, that's Levi. And sometimes people tell me, well, that doesn't that prove the Bible's inaccurate? I mean, they use different names. It's like, no. If anybody ever asks you that, by the way, here's an apologetics point. We go, well, how come they don't know if his name was Levi or Matthew? Look, I know people that are James Robert, and we call him Jim Bob. We do. I know people that, are, that would be John Schmidt III, and we call him Trip or Trey. Anybody know people like that? Well, who is it? Is it Trip or is it John Schmidt III? I don't know who you're talking about. Come on. It's the same person. Or down here in the South, I had to get used to this. And my family, we always call people by their 
if they were grandparents, you'd call them Grandpa Schmidt and Grandma Schmidt. Here they're Mama and Papa. Okay? Well, who are you talking about? It doesn't mean they're a different person. It's A.K.A. Paul Paul. Okay? It works. You guys understand what I'm talking about? The same way with Levi. Levi was Matthew. You can have a surname, a nickname. Works. Don't let that slow you down. So as he walked along, Jesus saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his uh, tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Last week we saw he called some fishermen. Now he's calling a tax collector. Tax collectors were notorious sinners. Israel was under the occupation of the Romans at the time. The way the Romans collected their taxes was they would find somebody who spoke Hebrew, somebody who was a Hebrew national, if you will, who'd be willing to collect their taxes for them, who would know what things really cost, would understand how things, how businesses were run, and they would say, this is how much we need you to collect. You can make whatever you want to make by adding on top of that. We don't care what you do. So if they wanted to add 100% tax, they could. It was basically highway robbery. And you had Roman guards to enforce it. So you collected what the Romans wanted, added as much as you wanted, and most of them became filthy rich. They also were hated by all of their countrymen. I think we all would understand why. Jesus called one of these guys, Matthew or Levi, he called Levi, this is one of these guys, a notorious sinner, hated by the local people, That's one of the disciples. That's surprising. But it gets better. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, followed Jesus. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. That's worth underlining. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, They were the strict observers of the Old Testament law. When they saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Here's a note. By associating with Levi and his friends, Jesus revealed God's love. And I don't normally do this, but there's... Sometimes every now and then you need to know an original language. That's an agape love. A-G-A-P-E. Agape love. That's that kind of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Agape is unconditional. Which means there's no conditions. I love you because I love you. It's so interesting when he was um, uh, healing the paralyzed man, he said, my child, your sons are forgiven. It's so interesting when we talked about compassion. The Lord is like a father to his children. That's the way Jesus talked because that's the way he thinks of us, like his kids. You ask a parent whose kid has gotten in trouble with the law and they're visiting him in jail, Do you still love your child even though they've committed a crime, even though they're in jail? What will they say? That doesn't change it at all. Now imagine if you and I had love for other people that way. This is shocking. I mean, it's one thing to touch an unclean person. 
that leper probably didn't have anything to do with his disease. He was still contaminated, but it wasn't necessarily his fault. These are people unclean because they choose to live wicked lives. So why is Jesus eating with them? I mean, it may be understanding that he's willing to touch a leper, but to have dinner with a tax collector and a whole bunch of tax collectors? What the heck? Why is he doing this? And Jesus said, because that's why I came. He came to make people clean. He came to forgive sins. And so it made sense that he would go where sinners are. I mean, if I'm going to sell bottled water, I ought to go where thirsty people are. That's a good place to sell. If I'm going to save sinners, I ought to go where sinners are. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, those who know they're sinners. These people knew they weren't right. Quit living this way. Here's a life application. We're ambassadors of this good news about Jesus, the Son of God. We're ambassadors of this. Now, I want you to understand this. When Levi became a follower of Jesus, his first reaction was to go invite all of his sinful friends. you you got to come meet Jesus. I'd mentioned it in the illustration before this, when the friends bring friends to Jesus, when the woman at the well, even though she was a disreputable sinner, she went and got the whole village to come out and meet Jesus. What about you and me? I mean, all too often today, it's like, Jesus can make the biggest difference in our lives. It's like, hey, who are you lifting up to Jesus like the four friends? Who are you running to tell like the woman at the well? Who are you and I inviting over to dinner like Levi? So we can meet other Christians. I mean, if if you want to know the biggest dream in my life is that we would use our houses as places to bring people to Jesus. How? By having people over for dinner with some other people from a connect group. So we get to know him, build relationships, talk to him about Jesus. Be amazing. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. I mean, that's what Matthew felt. He left his tax collecting booth, never went back. And according to church historians, he gave up his life for Jesus. He died following Christ. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And now God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That's what Mark's been talking about here. And now he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we can be made right with God through Christ. Now this is something. How would you and I be ambassadors? By just doing what Levi did. Inviting people over for dinner. Maybe inviting some other Christian friends so you get to know them. Talk to them. Tell them about Jesus and what God's done in your life. How could you and I be good friends? Maybe we'd be just like the four friends who lowered the man in front of Jesus. But we get together, instead of tearing a hole in the roof, we tear a hole in our schedule, and we all get together, and we lift up the person of Jesus in prayer every week. Say, God, we're not going to let this person go. We're good friends. Maybe it'd be just like when Jesus went and touched the leper. 
Maybe it's us taking the first step to reach out to somebody who'd be unclean. person who's afraid to come to church. Well, if you're afraid to come to church, don't be afraid of me. Uh, you wouldn't be my friend if you knew who I was. You wouldn't be willing to do that. I'm willing. I'm willing. And if you and I could just write somewhere in the white space on here, two words, unconditional friendship. It's hard for you and I to imagine unconditional love. It's not that hard to imagine unconditional friendship. What if I was just your friend, no matter what? You could call me, no matter what. Doesn't mean I agree with you. Doesn't mean that I wouldn't confront you when you did something stupid. In fact, it would mean exactly that. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to give you the truth, even if it hurts. That doesn't mean that. You just go along with everything. What if I was a friend like that? By the way, that fellow who was walking outside the doors and wouldn't come in, I couldn't get him to come in that day. I'm still working on getting him to come back. Followed him all the way to the parking lot, begging him to come in, though. What if we lifted people up to Jesus? What if we invited them over to our, in prayer? What if we invited them over to our house to eat with them? What if we just engaged in conversation with people who thought we'd never be willing? Maybe we'd surprise them the same way Jesus surprised the people of his day. And that'd be a good thing, because we're his ambassadors. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that we get to see Jesus in action because it informs us how we need to act as your children. Lord, I pray that we will copy the behavior of Jesus. I pray that we'll also copy the behavior of the four friends who brought their friend to Jesus. Lord, even if we can't drag somebody physically in, that might be a last resort. We can certainly lift them up to you in prayer. I can certainly walk across the street and meet a neighbor who maybe would never come anywhere because they don't think they're good enough. If I'm willing. I can invite people over to my house and have dinner with them. Levi did. So can I. I pray that you'd open our eyes on this. We started this message just thanking you. The Bible's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. Lord, I pray that you would We'd allow the Bible to be our guide in how we practice our faith. We'd be good friends. We'd be willing to associate with unclean people. We'd be willing to have people over to our house for dinner, no matter who they are. And we'd be unconditional friends. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died on the cross to save us. We thank you for the good news that he loves us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. Help us be good ambassadors this week in what we say and what we do. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.